Gospel of Mark. We're going through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We find ourselves in chapter 14, so we're going to just plug along right where we're at, Mark chapter 14. The Christmas story was just told, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so we're going to just continue on that theme and pick up again right where we're at in Mark's Gospel chapter 14. The title of the message is True Worshippers. Mark chapter 14. Let's pray and ask God to go before us. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for just this time of year that we can... Lord, just remember that you came into this world as a child. You grew up. And Lord, you died for the sins of the world. But only those, Lord, who put their faith and their trust in you are the ones that will receive the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be in that company. And, Lord, I pray for anyone who might not be in that company this morning or listening to this message, Lord, that you would draw them to you, that you would let them know, Lord, that you love them, that you have a plan for them. You don't want to take anything from them. You simply want to bless them with your presence and with the gift this Christmas of salvation. And so we thank you, Lord, so much for your grace, your goodness. Bless this time, Lord. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit says to the church this morning. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14. And we're gonna read verses three through nine. This is Mark's Gospel. Right where we left off in chapter 13, we finished that Last week, so this is Mark chapter 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, he speaking of Jesus, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and wherever you wish, whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And so we have this short account of an individual. Mary is her name. If you were to go to John's gospel, you would see the same account in chapter 12. And you see in verse 3 of John's Gospel, chapter 12, it says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mary is seen three times in the scripture, this Mary. She's the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus, in chapter 11 of John's Gospel, was um, dead, And Jesus raised him from the dead after four days of being in the tomb. And so every time you see Mary, there's three times, three accounts where you see Mary in the scriptures. And every single time you see her, 
She's at the feet of Jesus. As I study the scriptures, there are individuals who are God's children. They're prophets. They're ministers of God. They're, individ- they're disciples. They're individuals that are um, surrendered to God. And they're on the narrow path. The narrow path is the small road that leads to Jesus, the Bible says in Matthew's gospel. And then the world is on this broad path. They're on the broad road, the broad way. And so those individuals on the narrow path, every once in a while through the scriptures, you just see these individuals with character for whatever reason that is exceptional. The Bible doesn't necessarily tell us, but it's the individual because the Bible declares that God is not a respecter of persons. And I'm sure that you have met individuals in your life that are Christians that you just, you look at how they live, you look at their lives, you look at the influence and the impact that they've had on your life and you just say, man, that... That person just, they do it at a level. They do it in a way that is just different. I mean, they really, really get this thing, and they really love Jesus, something extra special. And so all of us are in a race. The race isn't against one another. The race is really and truly against our flesh. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're all running a race. And so in this race, we're just battling the war of our flesh, the enemy, and the world system. But as you compare and contrast individuals who are Christians on this narrow road, again, every once in a while, you see somebody like Mary. And I don't know specifically what it was in her life that caused her to love Jesus like this. It would be John who wrote the Gospel of John who would say and refer to himself as the apostle that Jesus loved. And so he understood that he was special in the eyes of God. He understood that God loved him something special. But and then you take a John and compare even a John to a Mary, and if I were to make a comparison, I would say Mary loved Jesus extra special. What did she do? She took a year's worth of a dowry, if you will, a savings. Go back to that culture and recognize what this, that she anointed the body of Jesus with cost. It cost a year's wage, 300 denarii. A denarii was a day, uh, a day's wage for a laborer. So 300 denarii would be almost a year's wage. And that's what she had. And in that culture, women weren't highly valued. And their value and their worth and their significance was found in who they would marry and who they would be married to. That would be their source of income. That would be their source of lifestyle. That would be basically the rest of their lives until they would go home to be with God. She took that which guaranteed her something significant for her future. She took that which was basically her life, all of her eggs in this one basket. And she was able to see something that others weren't able to see in Jesus. And they even called it waste. Why was this wasted? We could have did so much good with what was wasted on Jesus. But she was seeing something with different eyes. So as I was going through this section of scripture this week, 
You could come up with different ones, but I just came up with 10 things that I noticed in this little section of Scripture that differentiates a true worshiper. An individual that when they get to heaven, they're not going to be sorry for the sacrifices that they made on behalf of their Savior, of their Lord. And so let's take a look at those 10. We'll we'll look at them briefly as we go back through this account. In verse 3, we're going to see worship is centered around Jesus, and we're going to see that the worshiper wants to be where the Lord is. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil, a spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. And so we see Mary wanted to be where Jesus was. She gets news that Jesus is in Simon the Tanner's home, or the leper. He was a leper, not the Tanner. That's in the book of Acts. Um, This leper that was healed, obviously, because the leper couldn't have uh, contact in the community. And so this leper is healed, and that's where Jesus is. She wants to go and be where Jesus is. I, from early in my walk, I I don't know where the Lord just impressed this upon me, but I had a strong understanding and belief that you are supposed to blossom where you're planted. Wherever the Lord has you, if there's a church that God has called you to, then that's the church where God wants to use the gifts that he's blessed you with. That's where God wants to see you grow. As the water of the word is poured on you, just imagine a plant that is, that is planted in this rich soil of the word. And as God's word is just being poured, the water of the Holy Spirit and the word is being poured upon you. You blossom, you grow where the Lord has planted you. Church is God's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so she was and wanted to be where Jesus was. And Jesus is doing an incredible work in our land. Jesus is doing an incredible work in the world. Right now in the Middle East, in the Muslim community, I am hearing of visions of Jesus coming to people in the night, people who want to know God in a real sense. And God is giving them these visions of himself and drawing people to salvation in Christ. And so God is doing an incredible work, but God wants to do a work right here. God wants to do a work in our midst. And it might not be the thing that he's doing somewhere else, but nonetheless, I've watched the hand of God work incredibly in the lives that are represented in this room. And God is raising up individuals And he is doing a work in our midst. And so number one, worship is centered around Jesus and the worshiper wants to be where the Lord is. Number two, in that verse that I read you out of John chapter 12, it says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Number two, true worship will result in an aroma of Christ as opposed to the stench of flesh. You will become like that which you worship. And there are religious people that go to church, and there are true worshipers that come to church. And the contrast is, what do you smell like? What scent or odor do you give off? 
If you worship Jesus, you will become more gracious, more loving, more kind, more patient. Amen? As opposed to just going to church, going home, yelling at people, being upset all the time, yelling about everything and just your life being in shambles and misery. Spending time worshiping the Lord will create this incredible aroma. Two scriptures found in the New Testament. One is... um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Do you give off the scent of Christ? When people are in your presence, What do they walk away smelling like? Number three, in verses three and five, we see that worship costs something. In verse three, we saw that it was an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Um, And then verse five says, for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii given to the poor. Worship costs something. Are you willing to pay that which worship costs? When we think of worship, oftentimes we think of the group, the individuals that would come up here and sing. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is your life. Worship is what you do on the daily. In your waking moments, you're worshiping the Lord. You will never tire of ministry. You will never burn out in ministry if you sit at the feet of the Lord, if you worship the Lord with your life if you are given over to God. Serving God is an outflow of sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's not what you do to, I don't know, um, I don't know. It's just worship is an outflow. You sit at the feet of Jesus, and out of that experience and out of that which is taking place when you sit at his feet, it's, it's this impossibility to not go out And serve him with your life. As you truly sit at the feet of Jesus. In the the book of 2 Samuel chapter 24, David makes a gigantic mistake. Pride is lifted up in his heart. Satan tempts him to do something. To number the people. And he does it. And then the consequences of that mistake begin to unfold on the nation of Israel. As he's given a choice of three judgments that are going to come from the hand of God. He chooses the one that will come from the hand of God, not from the hand of man. And then God begins to wipe out the nation of Israel and they're dying. It's like a shadow is going across the nation and that everybody, that that shadow, everybody that that shadow hits just begins to die. And David sees it. And then he intercedes on behalf of the people and prays and says, God, stop. And then it's placed upon his heart because of God's goodness to stop the judgment to be able to do something for God. And he wants to build an altar. And so he goes to the king, to Aruna, and he says, I want to buy your threshing floor that I may worship the Lord. And he says, you know what, king? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you, David. You don't even have to pay for it. And in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, the Bible says, then the king, King David, said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price 
nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Nor will I give to God that which costs me nothing. Worship's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you waking up earlier, possibly. It's going to cost you sacrificing to be able to pour into people under you. It's going to be sacrifice, maybe taking a step back, and where you would want to lead, you have to just follow. Worship's going to cost something. Number four, true worshipers will be criticized. We see that it's Judas Iscariot of all people who was the one saying that this, this expensive you know, spikenard could have been sold and, and the money given to the poor. But John's gospel tells us that he said that because he's the one that used to hold the money. He was the treasurer for the disciples and he would pilfer it. He would steal from the money of the Lord. And that was his true motive. But nonetheless, criticism comes. I love the definition of a fanatic. What is a fanatic? A fanatic is somebody who loves Jesus a little more than you do. That's what a fanatic is. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're lifting their hands up. I saw them last week. I saw them. Yeah, they shouldn't be lifting their hands. They should be face down. Fanatics. Right? So we need to be careful. And may we become fanatics for Jesus. I look at fans and I look at baseball and football and uh, just different sports fans. That's fanatic. They cheer for their team. They wear their colors. They paint their face. Fat dudes painting their big bellies the color of their favorite football team in the snow, freezing temperatures. Fanatics, fans, right? And we can't lift our hands for Jesus. We can't pray in a public place over our food because we might be embarrassed or, or offend. I think we need to be fans for Jesus, the one that saved us and set us free from our sins. So true worshipers will be criticized, number four. Number five, notice verse six. It says, but Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Number five, true worshipers will be defended by Jesus because the Father seeks such to worship him. Obedience to God, you cannot outgive God. And so through obedience to God, God's got you. God has got your back. As you obey God, it might look like you have your critics. It might look like you have people that are coming against you, but God will be your defender. In John's gospel, chapter 4, Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. How many times have you heard somebody in a conversation say, all roads lead to God? All roads lead to God. You, you have your thing, you have your beliefs, you have your ideas, and yeah, yeah, I just have mine. No, God is saying that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. There's one way to heaven. It's found through Jesus Christ. That's not popular. That doesn't bode over well. But Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father except through me and by me. And so we need to be careful in our politically correct world 
that we're not just letting people know, yeah, whatever church you go to, it's fine, yeah, yeah. However you want to do it. You don't want to go to church, you'd rather serve because God's in nature. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and do it that way. No, there's one way, and it's God's way, and it's his prescribed way. And I'm glad that God gave us one way. He could have gave us no way. There could have been no way to get to heaven. We are all deserving of hell. We are all deserving of a fate without God, separated from God, because the Bible says that we're all sinners. And yet there's one way to heaven. So number five, true worshipers. I'm sorry, six was true worshipers. um, No, was it five? Yeah, five. True worshipers will be defended by Jesus because the Father seeks such to worship him. Number six, true worshipers do good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The double lie of the devil is work your way to heaven. That's a lie. You can't work your way to heaven. The work has been done. To Talistai, Jesus said as he died on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. I did it all. There's nothing you have to do for salvation. So the enemy lies and he says you have to jump through this hoop. You have to do this thing. You have to go to church. You have to read your Bible so much. You have to do all. No, 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 no. For salvation, Jesus did it all. He paid the price on the cross. There's nothing that we can do or need to do for salvation. But the double lie would be after you're saved, there's no work to do. That's a lie. That's the double lie. After you're saved in gratitude for what he's done, you say, Lord, I just want to serve you. There are good works with my names on them. I want to discover them like a gift. I just want to open up the package and partake of what's inside. I want to serve you with my life. I want to give it back to you. You gave me salvation. I give you my life back as as just a, a showing of gratitude for salvation. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we see this good work that she does as a sign of worship to Jesus. Number seven, true worshipers do what they can. Notice verse eight, just this little line at the beginning. Verse eight says, and Jesus speaking, she has done what she could. Isn't that awesome? She didn't do what she couldn't. She didn't do what somebody else was supposed to do. She did what she could God is not asking Toby, who runs the children's ministry, to run the marathon with those African dudes that are all skinny with no shoes on in, you know, like, what, two minutes? I don't know how long they run, 26 miles. Them them crazy African dudes just running in the Serengeti, and then they come back over here and take the Mercedes Benz every year. (laughs) Right? God's not asking Toby to do that. She's not asking somebody in a wheelchair to get up and do something that they can't do. But this woman did what she could. How many of us are doing what we can? We make excuses for why we can't. God's not asking you to do what you can't. God's not asking you to live somebody's life. God is giving you the power, the the ability to do what he's called you to do. According to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. He's giving you the very desire and the ability. According to Philippians 2. I like that. She did what she could. Number eight, in verse eight as well, worshipers see eyes with eyes of faith what even the most prominent don't see. Think about this. 
the disciples were told three times by Jesus, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. Whew, they didn't see it. True worshipers see what the most prominent individuals, and, and this is what I do. I don't know if you do this. When I'm reading the scriptures, I'm like, I try to identify. I'm like, dang, I'm just like Peter, man. He'd be opening his mouth and sticking his foot in his mouth. I do that. I do that. Yeah, I do that. I want to do that. And then I look at Paul, and I'm like, man, Paul's the man, dude. He just loved Jesus, something special. And Yeah, I love Jesus. I love Jesus, something special. Yeah, okay. I look at this woman, and I'm like, how was she able to do this? I don't know. This woman loved the Lord something extravagant that all of the body of believers didn't understand that Jesus was going to the cross and that he would die. But before he does that, six days before he does that, this woman sees it. She sees something. She's like, my, my Lord is going to the cross. I'm going to take, take my life. I'm going to break it, and I'm going to pour it on his head. And it's going to drip down to his feet. And I'm going to take my hair, and I'm going to wipe his feet with my hair. And the fragrance of Jesus is going to be on me. And when I go to the room, the fragrance of Jesus is going to follow me where I go. She saw something that everybody else missed. And those are eyes of worship. An individual that is able, because they're worshiping the Lord in truth and in spirit, able to see things that are just, whoa, how'd you, how'd you see that? Lord showed me. I don't know. I just, the Lord showed me. Number nine, true worship has an eternal perspective that receives rewards beyond what we can measure. Notice verse nine, assuredly I say to you, Jesus says, wherever this, uh, this gospel is preached, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. We're talking about Mary right now in church in 2014, a week or what are we, days before Christmas. Her, her testimony has, has continued to go where the gospel is shared. What she has done stands out to us as something special, significant, something that stands the test of time. We're learning from her. We're, we're learning that, wow, there's some... There's a, there's a certain way to be able to worship the Lord. For real, though. There, there's like a way to bring it for Jesus in a way that, man, that's, that's a level of depth that I don't know. I don't think I've seen that a lot. This woman is being elevated in that sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 says, If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. God rewards those who sacrifice in these ways. And nobody is going to stand before Jesus when it's all said and done. And when God begins to give out those rewards, nobody's going to stand and be sorry that they, they, they gave time to the cause of the Lord or that they were able to give money to a cause of the Lord or that they were to bring their little trinket of a, of a, of a gift, their, their talents, their abilities, and say, Lord, <laughs> I just want to give this back to you, Lord, in gratitude and appreciation. 
what do we do? We hoard them. No, I don't get involved because you know, people are messy and it's sloppy. And, and it ain't people. It ain't people. You're doing it for people. You're gonna, yeah, you're going to hate it. People are hard to serve. People are unappreciative. People don't get it. People just want to talk about themselves. You don't serve people. You serve God by being a listening ear to those people who are hurting, by being his mouthpiece, by being his hands that reach out and hug and love, by praying for people who are going through it. That's under the Lord. God keeps good books. You'll never, ever be sorry in heaven for something that you sacrificed on behalf of the Lord. So those are nine. Let me read them, and then we're going to do the last one, and we'll close. Number one, worship is centered around Jesus. Number two, true worship will result in an aroma of Christ as opposed to the stench of flesh. Number three, worship costs something. Four, true worshipers will be criticized. Five, true worshipers will be defended by Jesus because the Father seeks such to worship him. Six, true worshipers do good works. Seven, True worshipers do what they can. Eight, worship sees with eyes of faith what even the most prominent don't see. And nine, true worship has an eternal perspective that receives rewards beyond what we can measure. And then number 10, God gave me this one this morning. I only had nine last night. True worshipers aren't waiting for life to be perfect before they truly worship. Let me read that again. True worshipers aren't waiting for life to be perfect before they truly worship. Her brother had died in John chapter 11. Her brother had died. And when Jesus came walking on the path, she didn't wait for him to get to the house. She ran to him. And she fell at his feet and she worshiped. I find the word worship interesting. It's proskuneo in the Greek. Proskuneo. To turn to and kiss. That's all worship is. We turn to Jesus. We look in his face. And we say, Lord, I just want to love you with my life. That's all worship is. And so this Christmas, think about what Jesus has done for you. And be a true worshiper, incrementally moving in the direction of God. As I look at this list of 10, I think, wow, Lord, can I just maybe try one at a time? This is daunting. I want to be a true worshiper, but I look at it and I'm like, you know, you want to crumble it up and just throw it away. But it's like, no, Lord, can I just maybe add one or two? And I, I, just, I just, I want to be a true worshiper, Jesus. I'm... I'm messed up. I'm a messed up guy. I told my wife yesterday, man, I, I lied. She's like, what? Yeah, I lied. I, I was scared. I told this guy something that wasn't true. And Oh, Lord, forgive me. I, I just straight out lied. Like, I was scared. I don't know if you guys, you guys don't go through these things. I know you don't. You guys are good. But I lied. I just straight out lied. And I'm like, Lord, I can't even tell the truth. Like, what a liar, liar. <sighs> like, I want to... I want to be so devoted and I want to be so holy and so right on and I want to be a worshiper and it's like, ah, Lord, help me. Help me with, if I can add one and just maybe build on that. And so this isn't a message of condemnation. 
okay, Mary's the only one in the world. I'll never be that, so I might as well just keep getting drunk or something. I don't know. I just <laughs> throwing the towel on that message. Forget that. No, I think we're all in this together. I think we're all just going through it. And if we can apply, if we can just take in one thing and be blessed, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Mary. We thank you for the words that are on just the pages of scriptures, Lord, that we can just learn from individuals that are getting things that the average, the most used and holy aren't getting, or at least we think they're holy. But Lord, we know better. We're all just a work in progress, Lord. We're all just in this thing called life together, and we need you desperately, Lord. We need you desperately. And I pray, Lord, that we would be those who would call out, cry out to you. Lord, like the woman desperate for a healing, she reached through the crowd. And Lord, she touched the hem of your garment. And that faith was released in that moment. And so, Father, I just pray that we would reach through the crowd this Christmas. And Lord, that we would desire to touch the hem of your garment and be healed. And so be with us, Father. Be with those who are just going through difficulties this time of year. I hold them up to you, Lord. I place them at your feet. And I pray that you would have your way in their hearts. So thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of salvation. And I pray, Lord, that we would bring it close into our hearts. Receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.